Coaches, brothers and sisters in strength, thanks for tuning in to this Outsource Podcast, Episode 5 with Coach Ryan Nozak. I'm, I'm really excited to have you on, Coach. Um, Coach is a person that we've we've known each other now for about a year um, and gotten to know each other over that time. Got I guess it's two years now, Coach. I, I, I apologize. Um, time flies, right? Uh, we met a couple years ago, and actually our conversation earlier, I forgot to mention, was Nashville. Um, and that was in Nashville um, when we first met at the CSCCA conference back in, is it three years now? Might have been 2014. 2014, so we're looking at three years. No. Or is that 2015? I'm not even sure. It had to be 2015. All right. I'm not that crazy. So two years ago, um, Coach and I had had first connected there, but we were in touch um, for a pretty good time, pretty good amount of time before that. Um, That was, again, most of these connections that you guys are going to hear from are, are social media, and I can't speak highly enough about um, the usage of it and how we can use it. So coach and I connected there and, you know, I've been very impressed with you coach over the, you know, extension of your career, um, and all the places you've been, and you've done some really, really good things for your perfect, for this profession, um, and also your student athletes. So coach, thank you so much for being on. Thanks a lot, John. Really happy to be here with you tonight. Of course. So Ryan, I, I went into a little bit just talking about, um, who you are or how we met, I suppose. Um, when I met you, you were with Robert Morris. Can you just go into detail a little bit more about where you've been? Uh, maybe a few people that have influenced you. Um, and I know you have a, a slightly unique path in this field. I think we all have unique paths, but um, certainly in your instance, it's different than most of, of what of what us what we have experienced. I apologize. So can you just go into where you've been, who's influenced you, and um, in that little scenario that was different from us? For sure. Well, I'll take you back to square one here. I got my start in the profession at the ripe age of 20 years old, working at Penn State. Did my undergrad at Penn State, so I started working in the weight room as a, as a college junior. Um, at, the, at my time during Penn State, I worked with about 16 out of the 32 teams there. Very fortunate to have met Cameron Davidson uh, during my junior year. Cam uh, served as my first mentor, pretty much the guy that gave me my start in the profession. At the time, Penn State really didn't have a great curriculum for interns and cam went out of his way to design weekly quizzes for me weekly assignments and basically just took me under his wing so i really owe a lot to him Um, from getting my start with him i later became a football intern during the summer of my junior year Uh, that was when craig fitzgerald came in and took over as director of strength and conditioning for football so i started as one of the first interns on his new staff during that that summer. And again, uh, here's my second mentor coming in early in my career, Craig Fitzgerald. That guy was, you know, one of his quotes was hair on fire. And that was something that he embodied on a daily basis. When that man walked into the weight room, that, that place was just full of energy immediately. And I think taking away points from him, just he's a guy that really taught me how to be passionate about my job, let that show through with my athletes, and just be energetic and love what I do. So I'm really lucky to have those two guys as major influences in my career early on. Following Penn State, I took a GA position at Tennessee State University in Nashville. Uh, there I assisted with football, men's and women's basketball, and I was in charge of men's and women's golf and men's and women's tennis. Uh, I was there for about six, about six months in, and the athletic department, just through funding issues, whatever it might have been, cut the GA positions for the strength and conditioning department. So here I was in the middle of a GA, you know, my, as most GAs are, you're only 
uh, reimbursement was, was housing or tuition. And at the time, all I was getting was tuition. So basically, here goes my payment taken away. Um, and they basically are just going to turn the position into, a, uh, into an internship position. So needless to say, I was pretty crushed. Uh, worked, you know, worked hard for, for about two years as an intern to get to this position. And then in a matter of an instance, that opportunity is taken away from you. Um, just having a backbone of mentors like I did with, with Cam and Fitz, you know, I was on the phone with them quite a bit. Just ask them what the, what the best option for me to do would be. You know, is it to move home immediately, try to just leave Tennessee State, or stick it out? What I ended up doing was with the help of Cam, I landed an internship at Vanderbilt, and I worked with Olympic sports there under the guidance of uh, Darren Edgington. So I pretty much just kept with my role at Tennessee State. I would work at Tennessee State in the mornings from about 6 a.m. to noon. Then I would go in the afternoon, work at Vanderbilt, from about 1 p.m. to 6 p.m. because that was when all the Olympic sports would train. And I had that schedule for about, from about January to April. Uh, that, was about, that was in 2014. And then because I literally had no money coming in, I had to do the classic part-time job of a, of a strength coach and be a bouncer in the Nashville bars at night. So, you know, three nights a week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, I'm, I'm here I am bouncing. So I had the early mornings and then also the late, late nights. Um, I did my best to make this work as long as I could. You know, I, I wasn't, I'm not a guy to quit and I understand what it takes to, to be great. And pretty much after about four months of doing it, I just decided to cut my losses. Uh, I moved back home and decided that I would do whatever I could to land another, another uh, position in the field. While at home, I had two jobs that just did not involve strength and conditioning whatsoever. One was working at a, a garage. Um, they buy old farming equipment, and basically they would turn around and sell it. So they needed somebody to come in and just wash that equipment. So I spent about seven to eight hours a day at like a big sink, and I would have like a diesel fluid that, that came out of a hose, and I would sit there with a uh, wire brush, and I would just scrub these tractor parts. And I'll tell you what, man, I, I saw some crazy stuff. There'd be like squirrel nest, some weird like insects, spiders, probably like manure, all this all this different stuff. But uh, I'll tell you what, it made me realize how much I loved what I did as a strength coach and how, and how hard I needed to work to get back into the field. Also with that job, I also bounced again at bars in Scranton. So that's where I'm from, uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania. So during the day, I'm working in the garage. At night, I'm bouncing. And then at this time, too, I'm also studying for the, C, uh, the SCCC exam. This is about May 2014. I uh, did that for about, about two solid months at home, and then early, I want to say late June of that year, I got a call from one of my friends who was working for Todd Hammer at Robert Morris. They were going to have a position open. I had a connection to Hammer through Cam at Penn State, um, applied for the position, and a few months later, I, I landed the position. So then I, you know, I got back into the field. That was like my you know, like my shining moment. Here I am. I'm back. I'm never going to let this slip away. You know, I'm going to do all I can to keep advancing. Uh, so I went on to Robert Morris. While at Robert Morris, I assisted with football, men's, women's basketball, and I was in charge of women's volleyball. And I stayed there for about 13 months working under the, the guidance of Todd Hammer. And then he proved, he proved to be probably like my third mentor in the field. And he's a guy that just made me an all around better person. Uh, I'm not sure how much you know about him, but he is big into just becoming more diverse. 
So his whole thing with us is his grad assistants or as his assistants was don't just be weight room coaches. Get outside, make yourself visible on campus, uh, go to sporting events, read outside of the field. You know, I think how, how many of us as strength coaches are guilty of just training all the time and not reading books or about events outside of the field. So I thank him for diversif diversifying my knowledge just in overall life. Um, and then following Robert Morris, after my 13 months there, I landed the position at Charlotte. And now I'm going into my third year here. Awesome. So working with uh, women's basketball, men's tennis, and then assisting with basketball when I can. Awesome. And we're going to talk a little bit later about some transitions and changing positions and in particular in yours. So I'll ask those questions later. I think you did the math for me. That must have been 2015 because um, you were at Robert Morris when, when, when we met, at least yeah. uh, finally met in person. I did have a question for you, just curious, because you said that you mentioned the bouncing deal quite a bit. Did you ever have a situation where you were bouncing and you saw one of your student athletes that were expected to be there in the morning um, that next morning? You know, I did. I, I got to be honest, man. The, the bar I worked at in, in Nashville was like a big Vanderbilt bar. And uh, I remember like we had, I had helped out with swimming. And it was on Fridays they'd have swimming workouts early morning at Crack at Dawn at 6 a.m. I remember there was one time where I was there and the girls happened, the swimming, swimming ladies happened to come in. And then they showed up the next morning, no issues. They got their work done. Um, their running was fine too. So, you know, I was proud of them for making the right decisions that night. Power to them for sure. Yeah, for sure. Coach, I want to ask you just before we get rolling, of course, this is, this is um, geared towards the high school coach or at least the coach that's interested in developmental athletes. Um, I want to ask, what do you know, uh, if you know or have heard anything, what have you heard or what do you know about the high school level of strength and conditioning? Yeah, I think when I was coming up as an athlete in high school, it was pretty much non-existent in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Um, if, every, if anybody was, was doing it, they were just training on their own or had the, the classic football coach leading workouts. Uh, um, I think mostly throughout the past two or three years now, I've learned about, a lot about the field through guys like you, uh, Micah Kurtz here in Charlotte, Gary Schofield, Fred Eves. Uh, recently, I've been watching a lot of Angelo James videos on Facebook. I think he's, he's doing a great job. Um, so, you know, thanks to you guys and, and, and podcasts out there, I've, I've been able to learn a lot more. Um, and in my free time, I've written a few programs for, for my old high school baseball team. Um, and it's one of those things where it's not a full-time gig. It was coming in when I can and making sure they're doing the right things. And then I've had some high schoolers uh, for, for part-time on the side, just training in the off-season. But it's never been, you know, in your type of environment where it's full-time, full-go. So... Uh, you know, I really respect what you guys do, and I think you guys are, are making our jobs easier by, by seeing what you guys are doing as well. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Uh, we break these into this, this, this podcast into segments, so we're going to start with the morning commute segment and talk about progression and roadmap. If you could design a program, if you had your athletes for eight years, um, 14 to 22, um, looking mostly at high school age, then on the college age, how would you spend those first four years in, in preparation for the next four? Man, great question. Um, I'm a big movement guy, so I would. I think you're going to get this from a lot of coaches that you talk to, especially at the collegiate level. Is that if I was starting with somebody who's 14 or 15 years old, you know, I, I think about what I didn't have when I was an athlete and I was age 14. I started training at age 13, and you know, at the time it was all like bodybuilding stuff. Come on in, how heavy can you lift? Don't care about technique. A lot of a lot of stuff like that. 
And that didn't translate to me becoming a better athlete. I wish I knew what proper positioning felt like, what it meant to have proper mobility, uh, how to actually land correctly after a jump. Nobody ever taught me any of this. Um, and I knew that if I had any of this taught to me back then, that would make me better. So I look at it from, let's start off with a, like a block zero approach. Movements of, of our squatting, hinging, lunging, pushing, pulling. Uh, can we jump correctly? Can we decel correctly? And then as the amount of time spent in that block would, would depend on how long that person needs to spend in that block. So if they improve, then I'm going to have them improve to our next block of training. Past that, that block zero level of training, I would probably set it up in terms of, okay, we're going to have a red group, we're going to have a yellow group, we're going to have a green group. Uh, for our red group, maybe these are our athletes that they've done well in block zero, but we need to start giving them some type of load. Uh, let's give them basic regressions of movement. So we're looking at something like a, like a squat. Okay, these are our guys who are maybe doing a goblet squat. Maybe they're doing a goblet squat to a box. Maybe they're doing it to a med ball. Maybe they're holding a med ball, but just like a lightly loaded movement, correct any of this function that we might see, make sure that that movement looks great. Once we start seeing that movement improve, boom, we'll bump them up. Our guys in the yellow group. In the yellow group, we're looking at uh, more basic progressions of the major lifts. Let's take the squat example again. Let's say we start working with a, with a front squat now. We're starting to be teaching a rack or holding a bar, whatever that might be. Uh, maybe we're still with the goblet if we need it, but we're, look, looking through a, we're working through a full range of motion here, or maybe we're pausing at the bottom, just adding some different, different cadences, different tempos to that lift. Um, and then we look at the guys in the green group, and I would picture these guys as being my, my older athletes. Maybe we've had one or two years of a block zero or a more regressed program. But I would say that these are the athletes who are a little more full go. So working all of our lifts through the, through the full range of motion, uh, definitely barbell base, having no problem loading them a little more. Um, just because I feel at this time, after having three or four years of, of that movement emphasis, everything should look fine. Uh, I think one of your other guests, I, think, I believe it was Coach Shadid, had talked about the, the fluidity of movement and the, the rhythmic control. And I think that's something that, that we definitely miss out a lot now with our high school athletes is that, you know, these athletes come in and they haven't jump roped before. They haven't been playing hopscotch. Um, I think he also talked about having them play some games or, or things like that. Uh, I'm not sure how much you, you thought about Jeremy Boone, but Jeremy Boone has a, a whole lot of uh, like agility games based. I think he actually has an ebook, and that's something I've actually used in my time here at Charlotte. But for those athletes, we look at the agility side of things. Let's make it fun for them. You know, like obviously lifting stuff, we, we're going to hit the basics. It's going to be a little mundane and, and whatnot. But um, for those agility, we can conquer the movement patterns that we need to make, to, to make right, but we can do it in a fun manner as well. Sure. And that, and that yellow, red, yellow, green, is that going to be like general athleticism and characteristics that advance them through those um, different stages? Or might say – Say you've got a kid that's a, a young man or, or, or a young woman that has a, a great squat pattern, but uh, maybe they're struggling with a hinge. Is that Are, are you going to hold them in the red until they've mastered all of those traits, or is it a you know general overall decision, or might you vary those based on the movement and ability? Does that make sense, the question? Absolutely, yep. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think I see that here at my level at Charlotte sometimes too. 
uh, I would have no problem advancing them up for the certain movement. Um, you know, if their if their squat looks fine, but RDL still needs to be regressed, we'll hold them until that until that advances. But I don't I don't feel the need that to hold them back on another movement because another movement still needs some extra work. Sure. Excellent. Appreciate that, Coach. Um, zero hour segment. We're going to talk about motor learning. Um, I'm a motor learning guy and, and a developmental approach to your programming. Um, I want to get first, I want to hear about an instance that, that you've experienced. Um, do you have off the top of your head, I want to ask, who's the most prepared athlete that you've ever trained? And, and if you do know who that person might be, um, did you know where they came from or, or what program or, or what they did in the past um, that might have set them up for that success? Yeah, yeah. I'd say it's uh, probably during my time here at Charlotte, our point guard, her name is Laya Raventos. So she is actually from Spain. So she is one of the few international. We don't have, yep, she's the only international kid on this team. And the cool thing about her is that she was playing for the Spain national team. So that when she came in here, she's already had years of, years of great elite level experience playing basketball. But with that national team, she's had full-time strength and conditioning coaches and she has told me the name of her coach but right now it's it's slipping it's slipping off the top of my head i believe it's a spanish name i gotta get it back from her um but with her coming in it was one of those things where her her movement competency was great she knew how to squat correctly she can squat low uh no no valgus knees uh her being able to land great deceleration great um just an all-around good background, and I look at it from the movement standpoint, had a solid aerobic base. Uh, it sounded like their conditioning wasn't just, you know, basketball court-specific stuff all the time, but they were they were doing some regular GPP work. And I think it was cool to hear that because I think everything as a sometimes with strength and conditioning, especially in the basketball world, it's very uh, U.S. based, right? Nation nationwide based, but it's here. It, it's awesome to hear what they're doing globally. Um, and then how that compares to what we're doing. Absolutely. That's outstanding. Um, now, in, in other instances, basically your, your everyday athletes, maybe the ones that you have right now, what's the biggest difference? And it can be, it can be um, maturity. It can be developmentally. It can be physically. It can be emotionally. What's the biggest difference between your veteran athletes and your rookies? Yeah. Um, I'd say it's probably two things. I would look at one as attitude. And I would say attitude in the sense of a lot of these girls come in and they've never trained before, right? It's just not a part of their culture. When they're growing up, there's a, there's a basketball hoop hanging anywhere, everywhere. They can get in a gym by themselves. They can start playing all the time, right? So whereas other sports with football, getting in to the weight room or hockey, that's a part of, the, that's a part of that culture. So a lot of them come in and they don't really see the value in the weight room. Um, and they don't believe in themselves. And part of my job is, I think my main job when they start is to get them to buy in psychologically, realize how this is going to help them become a better athlete, but then change their view into a more positive view, such as, you know, positive self-talk, like I can lift this weight or I can do this correctly. That's a big aspect. Um, from there, I would say just the ability to do very basic movements and pay attention to how they're doing that. Um, I have, I've had some freshmen come in and just, you know, rush through like my one, one freshman this past year, she can essentially dunk at 17 years old. Right. But her landing was atrocious and we would just spend hours drilling that over and over and over again. 
until finally she realized, okay, this guy is on me every single day. This has got to be important. Boom, she's bought in. Looks great now. But I think uh, as well, uh, you know, in terms of our vets, they've been here long enough that I preach about the same things every day. They realize that because I talk about them every day, they're important. They they try harder or they pay more attention in executing those movements. And do you think most of the things that you bring up to them or most of the things that you discuss on a daily basis are pretty uniform and universal that um, having a high school strength and conditioning coach would probably be the same message um, across the board, work hard, um, continue, uh, you know, working on your, on your weaknesses, things of that nature? I do, honestly, yeah. I, I think this, the issue is that most of the athletes I brought in here the past couple of years have not had high school strength coaches. Um, but it, you know, it's like you guys are the front line of the fence, right? You guys are going to uh, supply that message first. Um, and then when I, you're only making, like I said, at the start, you're only making my job that much easier because I already can skip that psychological aspect or some of that movement quality is already there. Boom. We can, you know, still start with our block zero approach, make sure all the prerequisites are there, but you know, start getting into our training program. Is there is and it might be what you just mentioned, but is there a, a biggest pet peeve that you have with incoming freshmen? Incoming freshmen could I mean it could be a movement deal again. It could be something um, from a character standpoint or from a psychological standpoint. Do you have a pet peeve that incoming freshmen have it and it just bugs the heck out of you? Um, yeah, I mean I'll probably say like just the maybe like entitlement. Um, I have to like really be on them about, about cleaning up like the weights when they're done. Um, you know, just because they're in here, doesn't give them the right to go and change the music station. Uh, if we've, you know, if we, if we've made shakes, put your stuff away. And I think it's, I don't, I have to sometimes repeat that message on uh, three or four times. And I think with, with most people, you know, when I was growing up, if I was told something, I would remember it after that time, I wouldn't need to be told about it three or four times. And I think sometimes with them, it's like there's there's so much other noise going on that they just forget sometimes. Gotcha. And I'm throwing you a curveball here. I know I am, but is that is that um, do this do your basketball coaches kind of see the same things? Do y'all discuss that? Um, is that something that's uniform across the board that many of the coaches see as well? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, our our whole basketball approach right now is is working together as a staff to to coach the intangibles here you know, just have, increase our, our level of discipline, accountability, and overall attitude. Um, you know, it's not just on, on my end when I see these issues, but when these other freshmen come in, it's, they, they, they think they can just coast on by, you know, because they were, they were the star player in high school or they did the minimum to get by. But when they come here and they see what it takes to be a great athlete or to, to play at the level of, of, that Charlotte expects, you know, you really got to turn it up a few notches. And a lot of them are just, they're not expecting that at the start. Sure. And, and I appreciate that because our sport coaches and myself and our athletic department speak all the time just about how we're, we're a college preparatory um, school, how we could better prepare our student athletes if they're going to compete in college athletics, how we might. So that's why I often ask, what, you know, what are those pet peeves? What are some of the things that are kind of a speed bump early on? Um, and I know some of our sport coaches, but also sport coaches um, across the country or might be watching this um, and, and wondering maybe what kind of what what part they could play in that. Um, I want to talk before we before we move on to character development, um, which we touched on a little bit. Um, this is another curveball I threw at you tonight. We we discussed when you were here RPR. That's reflexive performance reset. 
Um, and I know that's something that you use and it's something that's a very, very valuable component of your program. And I wish we had a better opportunity to talk about it here. We just started talking about when I start talking about our student athletes, it's hard for me to get off track or get back on track, I guess I should say. So, um, if you could, I, I mean, I don't necessarily have a specific question for you. I suppose how you use it, why you use it, um, how your student athletes have, have adjusted and responded to it. Um, just, just overall, you know, what, how it came about and, and what your thinking was in using it. Yeah, I've. I got the certification. I attended the course in November, uh, taught by Cal Dietz. I've uh, been using it since about then. My coworker and I, Tom Beckfermit, we do it on each other before almost every single lift. Um, it's been one of those things where, where me beat up as a powerlifter for a long time. Uh, I feel like if there's something that can make me feel better and not feel like garbage, they can certainly do the same thing for my athletes as well. But basically, we look at it as an activation sequence. Um, it involves, you can say rubbing certain areas or providing friction, uh, maybe some type of maybe self myofascial release to, to these certain areas that you have. But for each muscle, there's a, there's an activation or release area. Maybe spend about 30 seconds to one minute on that area. Um, uh, but a lot of our athletes will do this pre-training or pre-competition. One of my athletes, it was our center for basketball. We would do it before all of our games. So just on the on the sideline before a game, I'd run her through about a seven minute. They call it, we call it wake up drills, and it's one of those things where the athletes would tell me, "Okay, that feels great. I feel so much more relaxed. Wow, I feel lighter. I feel more uh, I feel easier on my feet. Uh, the room looks brighter." But my understanding of it is that when the, when this occurs, it's shifting the body from a sympathetic state to a parasympathetic state. With some of the, the papers out there right now, if you look up uh, Steve Volek, I believe you can find it on xlathlete.com, he did a little test retest with some of his athletes comparing fitness test, um, where his athletes were, were running like a 300-yard shuttle. Within six days later, after doing an initial RPR reset, they saw immediate changes in the 300-yard shuttle. Basically, the first time they did it, uh, most of the exercise was spent in the, the top two heart rate zones, pretty much above 80%. And then the second time they ran the test, after only six days of doing RPR, I think the most of the test was spent in the lower two heart rate zones, pretty much below like 80%. And it's just one of those things where if, you know, if my athletes feel, feel better because of it, and I, I think only in time the research will come out supporting it, I'm all for it. Outstanding. Yeah, I appreciate that, Coach. That's a... Again, I know it's something that I kind of threw on you, but I wanted to hear about it personally. We didn't get the time and opportunity to discuss it. Um, and I know that that's, that's one of the things I feel like that discussions with coaches, um, it's, it's going in that direction. Every time I have a conversation, I feel like we start talking about it. Um, so it's definitely a movement in our, in our profession, but it's something that's going to be very important for coaches to catch on with. And I think it's a, it's a valuable tool. So I appreciate that. Let's talk character in particular. Um, if, if I didn't mention on the front end, you work with the women's basketball team and men's tennis team. Um, as well as assisting with the men's basketball team there at Charlotte. So I want to hear, I, I see that there is a very, very, um, excellent dynamic from the outside looking in. I want you to explain it a little bit more, but I see a great dynamic that you have and a relationship that you have with your student athletes. In particular, I see a lot of the women's basketball team is um, through your social media. Then um, you might want to touch on something with men's tennis. That's fine. But in particular, I think many coaches, um, especially um, maybe male coaches, 
working with female athletes, maybe female coaches working with male athletes, oftentimes go, looking across that gender barrier and trying to cross that gender barrier or make sure no barrier exists. Um, so I want to hear how you, it seemed like really quickly um, related with your young ladies of the, of the women's, women's basketball team. Um, but how you did that, did you see any barriers? Did you have to, um, you know, were there any speed bumps there that you, that you met um, or any resistance that you met whatsoever? For sure. I would say the hardest thing about me starting here was that I started in late August, early September. So when I came in, you know, I really only had a, maybe a five, six-week block to really train them hard uh, before going to our in-season approach. And during that time, I looked at it and I said, the number one thing I need to do right now is just develop better relationships with these athletes. So right from day one, I was myself with them. I was real. I was authentic. I told them stories about myself. I let them know who I was. Um, you know, I've been, I've been vulnerable. I've been personal with them. But I think that all goes back to them showing how passionate I am about them improving and then also knowing that I want what's best for them because I'm not afraid to show them who I am. Um, and I've made education the biggest emphasis of my time here at Charlotte. So one thing we're doing right now is before every week, we start off with a quote on the board. And then that's like our, our, our weekly quote. And each day I may tell a story about that, whether it's a personal story, whether it's like a fable or something from online, or just self-tops that I have. I, mean, I, I spend a lot of time reading on the side, and I pull a lot of ideas from books, and then I share them with the athletes. So I think it's the fact that they realize that I'm not just yelling at them to squat deeper or say, hey, drink this protein shake. I'm taking a very holistic approach to the development of athletes. And I think they really appreciate that because it shows that I care about them as people. Um, I, know, I know for some things that I've done, uh, I joke around a lot. I'll crack some pretty bad jokes. You know, they'll laugh at them. Um, I know the kind of music they listen to. I'll, I'll put it on. Um, you know, they love that. Uh, we had a secret Santa this past year with uh, one, of our, one of our Christmas parties here. One of our girls was a huge fan of, of Kevin Durant. I think I got her a Kevin Durant t-shirt. And I remember at the, when she opened up that gift, she was like, oh, you, you know me. You know us. You know, like hearing them say that, it was pretty cool that, you know, like they know that I care about them. Um, that's been honestly the biggest factor going in there is the fact that they understand that I do all I could to make them better. And, and, and they, they, get, they hopefully usually give me the same view back as well. Sure. Awesome. That's great. Um, lunch break segment. We're going to go off topic for a second. When I was, when I was begging you to come on here, um, you were on vacation for a short time and I know you don't get much of it. So I was, I was glad you got to get away. I want to hear maybe probably aside from time with family, cause I know you're going back home when you do. Um, what's the number one thing that you have to do when you go home? This is actually really easy. And all my friends back home, my family know exactly what it is and it's eat pizza. And because the pizza in Scranton, Pennsylvania is nothing like you've ever had before. All right, let me just give you a quick history lesson. If you're ever up there, a lot of times it's, it's square and you order it by asking for a tray of pizza. So when you order a tray of pizza, they usually bring you out 12 cuts, it's square. Um, but a lot of times it's from these mom and pop places. So there's cheese blends, homemade dough, homemade sauce, you know, all Italian backgrounds. So I might have this, there's this one pizza shop on the block. I might walk down the street. There's another pizza shop, but it's exactly different, exactly different dough, uh, totally different 
sauce, whatever it might be. And it's crazy. Uh, for all the listeners out there, if you ever want to Google it, Google Old Forge Pizza Capital. And you guys can learn a little bit about the, the history of pizza in the Scranton area. That's awesome. I had a feeling it would go the direction of food. Uh, I love my food, man. Oh, me too. Me too. If you ask me the same question, that's the direction I would go. We got the beach down here. Uh, yeah. That might help. But uh, the food, you can find food anywhere that, that you just can't do without, especially at home either home cooking or, you know, what becomes our home cooking when you, when you become so familiar with the place and become so familiar with their food. Um, it, it brings back fond memories, right? So right, that, right. that's, that's awesome. Um, talk music. Cause I know, I know you're a music guy, just like me. Um, do you have a most underrated either, either artist or Pandora or Spotify playlist that you play? Uh, I've been the biggest fan of, I'm not sure if this is even underrated at this point, but past few years i've been the biggest fan of summer hits of the 90s yeah. that is just one of those all-time easy listening playlists um you know just good vibes all the way around i would say that I, I probably don't spend a whole lot of time listening to that sometimes it comes on uh, i'd say most recently i've been on this wu-tang clan uh kick for my lift sessions classic hip-hop just gets me going uh, especially that station i think there's there's good flow uh, when I put that on, man, I mean, I'm, I'm in the zone. Like, nothing will get me out of it. Those are two of my favorites, too. I, I usually go, like, it's it's probably 90s hip-hop, the, the playlist that it is. But Summer Hits in the 90s, it's funny that you said that because I thought that was my my hidden gem. Yeah, it's phenomenal, man. That one, and I'll tell you, if you're looking for easy listening and you're looking for something similar, um, Goo Goo Dolls Radio yeah. on Pandora is is pretty darn good that's yeah, that's I mean, like what if we finish a group and i have some time to program in between our next group and i need to unwind just for a second um that's usually what i'll throw on um so that's pretty cool to hear again it's not something usually that you can lift to sometimes i'll get caught lifting to it and, and the kids will be like what the heck are you listening to or one yeah. of our coaches will say what are you doing this is this is what you lift to they expect me to be listening to uh some of the stuff i hear coach hammer talking about on, on Facebook and yeah I mean he always he'd always give me stuff for it you know there's some good songs on there but then you get the you know the kiss me ones or the yeah sure you know, love 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 fool whatever it is and that's just uh -huh. you off a little bit but. no I hear you um so let's let's go into professional development and advice I told you I was gonna um circle back to this question uh what how has your time differed at Charlotte what is there a big difference between your time here and in particular Robert Morris if there was another time along those lines that you know that was just such a different circumstance and scenario you can touch on that if you'd like but um, really I, I and this might be a personal question so I, I apologize for getting selfish on this end but I've known you since basically you've been at Robert Morris so I want to hear what the biggest difference is maybe in that time um, coming from Robert Morris and now at Charlotte yeah, I think that's an easy, an easier comparison. Um, I would say the biggest thing is that here at Charlotte, it's a much more individualized, hands-on approach. And working with women's, ba women's basketball and men's tennis, I would say that I have the last say when it comes to discipline, when it comes to programming, when it comes to buying supplements, any of that nature. Yeah, in my role, I'm an, I'm an assistant, and, I, and I, there isn't a director above me, but I'm not micromanaged or anything from that standpoint. So I have to deal with all the sport coaches myself. Uh, I deal with the schedule. Um, and I also would say here, having women's basketball and men's tennis, they're relatively small teams. I think I really only have about 25 athletes right now. Um, so programming can obviously become more individualized. This past year with women's basketball, 
we got the first beat heart rate monitor system. So I'm, I'm able to do real-time monitoring for, for practices, for conditioning sessions. Uh, we did heart rate variability for recovery. You know, if I had 100 athletes or 120 athletes like I did at RMU, that's tough to do. Um, at RMU, I, I, you know, I, I assisted with, with, multiple, with multiple sports and also had my own sport. On a daily basis, I was probably coming into contact with about 100 to 120 athletes. Um, and I think if you ever talk to Todd Hammer about RMU, he'll call it controlled chaos. You know, RMU's weight room is only about 1,000 1, square feet. It's not very big. Uh, there's times in there where we had three teams going at one time. And to the outsider, would be like, whoa, like, how are you doing that? But we made it work. I mean, he's, a, he's, a, he's got a great mind for, for being adaptable and, and making things work. But um, with that said, that culture was, was untouchable. I mean, we brought those teams in there. And no matter who was in there, we're, we're training hard, um, which is something I think it's, it's really valued in this profession. Absolutely, for sure. Um, starting to close it out here. Uh, we'll go quick hitters, and this is our after-school rush. So um, I want to ask a couple questions, and they are high school driven, or at least um, early on in your own life. Um, the first question is, what or when was your first weight room experience? I would be the summer of my seventh grade year. I think I was about 13 years old. I attended a local YMCA with my cousin, Chris. And I, I have the, that, that memory that probably a lot of strength coaches out there have, getting underneath the bar, you're gonna, you know, for bench, trying to bench for the first time, bringing that bar down, <laughs> not being able to do it. Wow, that, that humbled me really quick, right? Um, and it's just one of those things where I, I started working with him, and over time, I just kind of just kept, kept up with it. Awesome. So is your cousin the person who taught you how to lift? Uh, I would say he probably was the guy who, who taught me the first time, but uh, I think pretty special for me is that at age 15, I started working at a local gym, and there was a crew of guys that would come in at night. Uh, they were like the 7 p.m. crew, a bunch of blue-collared workers, uh, guys that did like iron, construction, and they pretty much like adopted me into like their group. So these guys just, you know, it was like old bodybuilder stuff, like high volume, high reps, but they paid attention to te technique, and they got after it. I would say age, you know, age 15, 16 with those guys. I mean, I had a really good understanding of, of, how, to, of how to work hard. You know, I didn't have an understanding of how to build scientific programs or the training process. But, man, I knew how to push myself, and I think that's, that's something that's really helped me out along the way. Oh, for sure. Um, what high school coach influenced you the most and why? Uh, I would probably say my high school uh, football coach, uh, I actually only played football for, for one year during college, uh, for, during high school, I mean. It was uh, my senior year. Uh, his name is Ben Tall Rico. He's now the, the principal at my high school. Uh, but he was a guy that he just believed in me. You know, I think that was something that like, I really needed. I think early on, I didn't have a whole lot of confidence in myself at age 17 or 18, um, coming on to play the sport for the first time. And I always was a fan and whatnot. I had played other sports my whole life, but uh, with some other circumstances, I just never stepped out into the field, and he spent a lot of time like really developing my outlook, my mental, my mental outlook for the game. Uh, then he made me a captain on defense, uh, and I remember, you know, I was a huge wrestling fan growing up. I I loved WWE, and I remember one of our calls was the classic like Jimmy Superfly Suka, like this call right here, and that was one of our calls on defense. And I know that was something that was like personalized between he and I, like, you know. This is your this is your move, Nozak. You know, let's go get him. So I think that's pretty cool. 
Awesome. So you were in tears the other night when Undertaker stepped out of the ring for the last time. So it was, uh, it was devastating, man. I can remember. <laughs> I can remember watching him growing up. I've, I've been watching. I mean, I watched about twenty years of my life, probably. So is is that signal? Is what is your greatest memory from high school sports? Uh, I would say my senior year, the last game. So I was a I was a fullback and linebacker, and the last game of my career was on the, was on the road. And I had not scored a touchdown up to that point. I was more of like a blocking fullback, that type of thing. And that game was just to get me in the end zone. And I remember it was probably the third or fourth quarter. I think it was the start of the third quarter. And they called a, a fullback sneak. I think, the, I, think I, I replaced the running back. Uh, the running back played me as fullback. So he blocked for me. Boom, I got in. As soon as I got in, all the guys dog, dogpiled on me. And the very next play, we ran the same play again. I got in for the for the two points. There you go. So right off of that, you know, I got my I got my my points on the board there. And then after the game, my head coach gave me the the game ball, and all the athletes signed it. And to this day, I still have it sitting in my room at home. That's darn cool. See, it's it's just something you keep with you forever, right? Absolutely. Um, high school sports are are just incredible, and and we value them so greatly at this level. But I think. I think everybody has a taste of them. Anyone, at least anyone that did get a taste of high school sports, it sticks with them forever. And it's amazing that the impact that a coach can have at that time is, uh, is, is unmatched coach. I want to, if, if you're willing, I want to give you the last word and you know, I want to get you out of here because we, at this point we're, we're fighting with seven 30, but um, I want to make sure that you have you, this is, this is on you. You can take 30 seconds. You can take 30 minutes. Um, to touch on whatever you want to. I want to, I want to give you the last word, words of advice, a call to action, um, thoughts on a profession or, or maybe, uh, you know, outside profession related subject, um, an off topic thought or, or a thank you or a shout out, whatever you would like to use this time for. I just want to give you the stage, um, and open, no questions. Um, just go ahead and, and have at it. Awesome. Yeah. I think the, the main thing is to, is to thank those that have helped got me here. Um, Really, like I said at the start, you know, Cam Davidson, huge, huge influence on me. Craig Fitzgerald, Todd Hammer, um, my dad, my brother, my grandfather for, for helping me out along the way. Uh, I think I come from a different background where I lost my mother at age five. So I've, I've overcome adversity my whole life. Uh, I don't have much family left. So having those guys behind me in my corner, you know, they've always been the cornerstone of who I am. So owe a lot to them for allowing me to get to where I am today. Um, and to all the young strength coaches out there, you know, I'm, I'm a young guy too. The path can be hard, but with hard work, with diligence, with perseverance, the path, you know, I'm a big fan of um, the book, The Obstacle is the Way. And that's something that I've adapted myself. And I think for young grad assistants out there, interns out there, I always remember the obstacle is the way. You're going to face adversity in this profession. There's going to be a lot of long hours. There's going to be a lot of long days with, with no pay wondering if it's all worth it. But I'll tell you, this, the, the career I've had so far, the impact I've made, there's nothing else like it, and I've loved the path that I've chose. Uh, someone once told me, never underestimate the impact you're making on people's lives. If you impact, if you touch one person's life, and that person goes on to touch another, and that person goes on to touch another, you're quite possibly impacting thousands or millions of lives. It's like a ripple effect. So that's something that I've always took to my heart. Um, to, the, to the young guys out there, do all you can to network. You know, don't just sit behind your computer and send emails, but 
send some handwritten notes to coaches, get out there and, and conduct site visits, go to conferences, chat like you and I. You and I did. That's how we're having this podcast now, just because we talk together. Um, and just don't be afraid to put yourself out there. I think sometimes it, coming up in the profession, you're afraid to post or afraid to reach out. But I know for myself, I wouldn't be here if there were people that didn't help me out. And I do all I can now to help young guys out in the profession. Uh, I'm in charge of our internship program here. I helped out a lot with the internship program at, at Robert Morris just because I know what what the demands are and I know what it takes to make it. So, Coach, I, I really appreciate those words. And I must say you're – for those listening, Coach is an absolute uh, an absolute man of his word because in our first interaction, the first time we met, that was absolutely all on you. you. You took the initiative to make sure that we could connect, and I really appreciate that, and I appreciate you now being willing to um, help me out with this podcast but also help the high school world of strength and conditioning and help young coaches. It's not just about the high school level. It's about coaches that are listening to this and, and want to get better and want to improve and, and network and connect with different coaches and hear different voices. Um, and Coach Nozak, you did just that. I really appreciate you being on. Um, it means a lot. It's great to – and this friendship and relationship that we've built, we've built means, means even more to me than this podcast. So thank you, Coach, so much for being on. Um, you know, you can ask me if you ever, if I can ever, ever help you or, or repay you for, for being on here. And I know there's a lot of coaches that are going to reach out and say the same. So coach, thank you so much. Thank you for taking this time out of your night and thank you for being on the outsource podcast. You got it, man. Thanks a lot for having me. Thanks coach.